0: Welcome to Coach Lead Teach, episode number 14, the space for educators to engage in the latest strategies, tips, and tools to grow leaders. I'm your host, Brittany Carpenter. Today's episode is brought to you by our author, Rita Platt, and her new book, Working Hard, Working Happy. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get ready to grow. Hello, I'm Brittany Carpenter, host of Coach Lead Teach. I hope you're having a wonderful week and that you're not getting overwhelmed by the struggles of teaching because, you know, September, it's one of those months. It's not quite October. It's not quite February because we know how those months are, but it does start to get a little heavy. Maybe you have a lot of assessments going on in September. Maybe you're just starting to get to know your students and you're trying to learn what it is that you can do to help them be better tomorrow than they were today. I hope today's going to help you. Today, we're going to be discussing the joy and effort connection. My guest today is Rita Platt. Rita is a national board certified teacher, and she describes herself as an edu dork. I love that. She loves everything teaching and learning. She has experience at all levels, from kindergarten through graduate students, and she's lived all over places, from off-road villages in Alaska to inner city Las Vegas and so many places in between. You're going to find that her experience is really relevant to you, and that's one of the things that makes her book so great. She's been a teacher, a reading specialist, a librarian, and right now she's the principal at a school. In Northwest Wisconsin. She teaches graduate courses for professional development. She writes for Middleweb and she just published her new book, Working Hard, Working Happy, which we're going to talk about more in this episode. Remember, you can help us spread the word about the great content here by taking a screenshot of this episode and sharing it on social media. You're doing your followers a great favor by sharing this episode specifically because not only are they going to get to learn more about all the content we have here at Coach Lead Teach, but you might connect them to something they really need in Rita's new book. So do it. Make a move. Share with your friends. Now, let's dive in. Okay, I'm here with author Rita Platt. Hi, Rita. Hi there, Brittany. Um, so go ahead and tell me and our listeners a little bit more about yourself, maybe your home life, your hobbies, something you're passionate
1: about. Sure. Well, I'm Rita Platt, and I live in beautiful northwest Wisconsin. And I live in a nice house with my daughter, who is 12, and my son, who is 14. And we're two dogs, Honeybee and Snoopy. And we are black away from the school where I am the principal and where my kids go to middle school. I'm passionate about all things teaching and learning. I like to describe myself as an dork. I've been um, in the business for 25 years, still haven't had a bad day or one that I would call bad anyway. And um, I love all things teaching and learning. I, I think of it as my hobby, my job, my profession and my vocation. Um, other interests are reading and writing. I read and write every day um, and, be, and hanging out with my family.
0: That's awesome! I love your dog names; those are super cute. And it must be super convenient being that close to your school.
1: Yeah, I'm actually the principal of two schools, so one of okay. them's four miles south. So sometimes I have to take my car, but other times I can just walk. That's awesome.
0: Well, um, I know that you're a fellow podcaster too, right?
1: No, I participate in a lot of podcasts. I don't okay. do my own podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. I often. I. I am um, a frequent guest on Larry Ferlazzo's Q and A podcast and um, um, Principles in Action podcast and other and other um, other education related.
0: Okay, so why did you decide to kind of um, spur out and kind of be an influencer in education and become a writer about education?
1: Well, I, I guess I've always been a writer. I was born a language arts person reading and writing for, forever. So even my third year teaching, um, I was already writing and publishing in journals because I, I'm naturally driven um, I think best when I'm writing. Um, so the book came about. I wrote working hard, working happy, because for a couple of years I have been um a regular monthly blogger on middleweb, middleweb.com at heart of the school. And my editor there, John Norton, just an absolutely wonderful man, and and Suzanne Curtis, Susan Curtis, pardon me, um, another editor at Middleweb said, Hey, you know what? You have some things you should share. Why don't you write a book? And Will, will help you publish it, and so that's what happened there. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe in giving back to the education community. So, um, you know, I like to share. I like to get ideas from other people, and um, to, it's the time was right in my
0: life. So, what is it about this topic? And we're going to get into more of it in a minute, but. Um... What do you think it was when she read what you were writing in your, in the blog post and, um, just about the heart of why do we need a book about working hard and working happy right now? What are you seeing as a principle?
1: Well, you know, I got to say that's a hard one for me, Brittany, because my school feels perfect. (laughs) We all we have room for growth, of course, but we do work hard and happy there. So one of the things is I think that I have this incredibly successful school. We are um, an elementary school, pre-K through four, and we serve 400 of the most beautiful children in the country. Mm -hmm. And those kids are a mix. We have um, we're full title one school, which means we have our share of Poverty, Polk County, Wisconsin, where we live, has got the highest meth addiction rate and highest um, poverty. Where you know we're we have we have some problems in the county. That said, our school consistently exceeds all expectations on every measure, including the state report card, and including um, areas like closing the gap. We actually have no discernible gap between students who are of poverty and students who are more affluent. And so I, uh, you know, one thing is I feel like I don't want to say I saw a problem in education and that spurred me to write the book because that's not really true. My experiences in education, I've taught all over the country from tiny little Eskimo villages on the Bering Sea coast <laughs> to inner city Las Vegas. I've taught all grades from K through eight, and I've had great experiences in all those places. But I do know there's some magic happening at my school, Mm -hmm. and the magic is a perfect balance between keeping things happy, um, having a joyful, laughter-filled learning environment for both kids and teachers, and also helping kids extend their best efforts on the work they do so that the work they're doing is quality and they're pushing themselves to grow and achieve every day. So, you know, I see that working at my school no, and no. I have presented on it and written on it, um, you know, for years. And, and, and it just seemed like the time was right to say, well, let me just put it together in a book and, and see if I can help other schools find that harmony between joy and effort.
0: Well, you definitely have me curious to talk more about this um, after this short break. And I know our listeners are going to be anxious to hear more. So we'll be right back. I hope you're enjoying today's episode of Coach Lead Teach. I want to take you back if you missed last week's episode and encourage you to go back and listen in as I discussed with Whitney LaRocca about using mentor sentences to teach grammar and conventions in a fun, inquisitive format. As well, we talk about her new resource, Patterns of Power Plus. This is a great resource to assist you as you demonstrate to young writers how conventions, meaning, and rich literature can become one. This view for grammar brings together reading and writing to activate meaning. With patterns of power, teachers invite students to investigate effective grammar usage in mentor text, and then they compare, create, celebrate their imitations of the original model to create more writing. This allows young writers to take risk in their writing and play with our wonderful world of language. Look in the links for our show notes to learn more. Okay, let's get back to the fun. Okay, I'm here with Rita Platt today, the author of Working Hard, Working Happy, and Rita, go ahead and tell us, because you are well known as an expert um, on how principals and leaders can guide educators to get greater success. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the key principles that every educator should carry with them throughout their career, you know, to see success like you've seen in your schools.
1: Okay, um, I can try and do that. I can, I'll tell you, I think the best way for me to start is to to share with folks what I think of as my five-point philosophy on, on what good teaching and learning looks like. And and it's cobbled together and cultivated over many years of experience, and I'm sure it'll grow and change as I grow and change as an educator. But right now, today, I'd say if we keep these five things in mind, we're bound to have better schools the first one is the mindset that every single student can grow and learn and achieve at high levels every Mm -hmm. single one of them and that doesn't mean um, they arbitrarily have to hit certain targets or benchmarks or so-called grade level expectations that's not always possible but every single child should be able to grow and learn at their own particular pace (laughs) We have a, a mantra at my school and that's every child deserves a year's progress in a year's time. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fourth grader who starts school reading at a seventh grade reading level, you probably should. We, we need to facilitate and help you get to an eighth grade reading level by the end of the year. And conversely, if you're a third grader reading at a first grade level, we're going to help you make at least a year's worth of progress, <laughs> if not more. Mm-hmm. The idea is no learner gets left behind. No matter where they start, every student can grow, learn and achieve at high levels. The second part or second point in my philosophy is that joy is critical for learning. In fact, you can't learn if you're not in a joyful environment. And, um, you know, remember, joy differentiates from happiness and that joy is an overall feeling of well-being and happiness can be an ephemeral um, emotion that we have. Happiness definitely feeds into joy. But the idea is that you build a strong school culture where kids feel safe and loved, where teachers feel safe and loved and supported and where there's daily laughter and you're, you're going to have more success. The third point is that teachers need to begin to think of themselves as coaches rather than facilitators or bosses, which means putting kids in the driver's seat of their own learning and helping them get better at places they need to get better, helping them set goals so they move forward as learners. The fourth point for me and my five-part philosophy is is the idea that motivation is the key we have to motivate kids if we're not doing and teachers as a principal if we're not motivating our students or our staff effectively then things aren't going to happen but i think the way we think about motivation has to change i'm not talking carrot and stick motivation i'm talking Mm -hmm. deep impactful motivation Brittany, have you read dan pink's book called drive No, I'm going to have to add that to my list. Well, you do. Otherwise, you want to go online and go to just even just go to Google or YouTube and put in drive D-R-I-V-E R-S-A animate. And there's a really beautiful summary of his his work on motivation there. He's a Dan pink is a researcher and journalist. And he wanted to um, compile the, the evidence, the information, the scholarship, the research on motivation and say, you know, what can we learn from this? And what he learned essentially is that there are three things that motivate people. People are motivated when they have a sense of purpose they're doing something for a reason, when they have a sense of autonomy, meaning that what they're doing, they have some measure of choice over how they participate. And they have um, a feeling that they have the ability to master whatever it is they're doing. So autonomy, mastery, and purpose have to be built into everything we do with kids. If they're not seeing themselves succeed, If they're not having a modicum of choice in the way they're learning, if they are not feeling there's a reason for what they're learning, they're not going to be motivated, no matter how many gold stars and and candies we give them. Mm -hmm. So motivation is key, but we have to think about it differently. And then the last part of my Far point philosophy is that classroom management is absolutely foundational to teaching and learning. And if you don't have a good system there, it's time to reach out for help. because without that, um,
0: you got nothing. Wow. First of all, that's a lot of me. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Like, um, there's so many different points. I work in a division of my district that develops the professional development for the entire district. And I mean, what you just described is like everything we try to do every year. Um, and of course, we're always trying. To, our big initiative right now is student ownership of learning, which wraps around goal setting and revision of goal setting, but also like what motivates kids. I mean, it's just all those things. It all is so intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, I'm really excited to read your book, more of your book. And, um, Talk about that, and what you were saying about Dan Pink reminds me of um, the book that I talked about on one of my previous episodes by Paul Marciano of Carrots and Sticks don't work, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of more of like the corporate side of like what is really motivation. And we talked about like how do we help our teachers stay motivated. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm gonna have to check out Drive. That sounds awesome.
1: Totally, and even just the RSA animate video, yeah. just, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it probably a thousand times and every time I see it, I learn something new. Um, Uh, Absolutely worth it.
0: um, But today, I really want to kind of hone in on that part of what you were saying as far as making the school a joyful place and developing that culture of joy, but also helping kids experience um, hard things, I guess, and allowing them to experience failure in a safe way. Um, So tell us about this idea of joy and effort and who modeled that for you first? Where did you first
1: kind of dig into that? Holly, those, those questions are so hard for me. Where did I first or when did because I, I'm a holistic thinker and these things come over time again, 25 years. And in my book, there's a whole page where I thank pretty much every educator I've ever worked with because Man, I mean, every time you I've learned so much, I continue to learn so much from the teachers and my colleagues that I work with every day that it all feeds in their little kernels here and there. But I, I know what I can say about the idea of joy and effort is that I know it from my own life, too. You know, I'm a human. Mm. <laughs> I experience school. I continue to learn. And I know that you I know that it, w- when it comes to learning, we tend to be more joyful when we are effortful and see the reward of those efforts. For example, now I have a student, a first grader, just a darling little girl, and she is deaf and speaks sign language. So I said, okay, well, I can't just have one person in the school who can communicate with her. It's time to go back to school. So I've been back to school learning to speak sign language. And that's one of those examples where I work really hard. I take, I study about an hour a day and I practice every day and I take two hours of lessons a week with with a teacher. And if I didn't, if I didn't see progress, I don't think I could continue to do it. Mm -hmm. But Because I see progress, that progress just fills me with joy. I guess what I'm trying to say is effort and joy are not dichotomies. They are Mm -hmm. reciprocal. They're the same coin, different sides. I don't think you can have a joyous um, environment without asking kids to be effortful in their work. I think then you what you have is a bunch of bored kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can have an effortful classroom or school environment without making sure that there's daily joy and laughter. They go hand in hand.
0: So what I'm hearing is that effort doesn't equal hard And that's what I'm wondering if some people might think of, you know, it's kind of reminds me of the whole rigor, like just because something's rigorous doesn't mean it's hard and difficult. And just because I put effort in doesn't mean it's frustrational. But it is something that uh, makes me think
1: that's you just I think you just nailed it, Brittany, when you said the word. So the word hard is uh, is one that doesn't resonate with me. I don't know what that means. But when you say frustrational, that's that nailed it. Mm -hmm. Effort and hard and rigor does not mean we put people at the frustration level. It means you keep them right at that just right edge place remember back in college so I assume they're still teaching this and in undergrad we we used to talk a lot about Vygotsky and his theory of the zone of proximal development and it's that spot where kids can they're just right on the edge of their knowledge so they can push forward incrementally without feeling frustrated so it's effort it's hard but in a really good way not a frustrational way
0: and I think the other key factor there is teachers really need to know their kids, and I'm sure there's a lot of differentiation that goes on in your classrooms to make sure that everybody is at those ZPDs. Hundred
1: percent, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's all about differentiation, and that word I just was writing something else about differentiation not too long ago, and I was. Uh, I was reflecting on the idea that that word has kind of gotten a bad people, teachers sometimes bleh, even just <laughs> to hear the word differentiation. But the truth is all differentiation means is knowing your kids, knowing your learning targets and figuring out a way to get your kids moving forward towards those learning targets, which is what teaching is and always has been. So it's not that it's a new concept that needs to be wrapped around all kinds of fancy um, Lingo, it's, it's how, you know, just making sure you're answering those four questions that are the best practice based questions from the PLC. What is it that I want my kids to know or be able to do? What am I going to do to help them get there? What am I going to do if they don't get there? And what am Mm -hmm. I going to do if they're already there? So that you're working with every kid every day on meaningful um, learning tasks. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so how do school leaders think about their whole campus and maybe trying to make sure that they have a campus culture of working hard and working happy in their building?
1: Well, I'm going to say something here that kind of runs counter to um to to the memes that I see all the time on Facebook and Twitter. I always see memes that say students first. Um, um, it's about them, not about us. And while I do believe that, I believe that the best way to serve students is to serve teachers well. You can't have a happy school unless you have happy teachers. And that, you know, I'm a I'm a, a principal. That doesn't mean everybody gets their way all the time. I mean, I that that's not what it means, but it does mean that you offer teachers the support and um, nurturing they need so that they can serve their students in the best way possible without that I don't know how you get there you may have pockets of excellence in any school silos of excellence but unless there's a culture that supports teacher growth um, and a shared culture where people are get on the same page then I think it would be pretty hard as a school leader to start any place else
0: Can you talk to me a little bit more, maybe give me a couple of examples of what it looks like to put teachers first in your workplace? Because that is a little bit different than, you know, what a lot of people like to come in and be like, no, it's kids, kids, kids. And of course, that is still the priority. But I'm curious about what are some of the ways that you've been able to put teachers first and maybe a success story you have?
1: Yeah, well, I guess one thing I want to say about that is by putting teachers first, you put kids first. So absolutely. You know, that's. I mean, it's the same. It's the same principle as anywhere. You go into any store, you can tell where where you, you know, any store, any restaurant, you can tell which ones have good management and which ones have bad management by the way the employees treat you. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the same is true for teachers um, in schools. So what how do I support my teachers? One thing is I know them and I love them. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, I think about teachers the same way I thought about kids in my classroom. Every single one of them is mine and I love them and I will do what I need to do to make them successful, which means I differentiate for them. So here's an example. I have a, um, a third grade teacher, absolutely phenomenal teacher who, but you know, the, in, in the last year the reading instruction felt a little stale and, um, you know, the, the teacher's kids were doing, still doing well on, on our, on our, um, assessments, but I felt there was less joy there. And in some cases less rigor there than I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, talked to that teacher, that teacher has, Come to trust me. And so we planned the first units of the school year together and we'll team teach those units so that there is you know there's a new kind of a new vibe infused in the classroom so so how do I do that I team teach a lot I team Mm -hmm. teach with every teacher at least twice a year and I'm not talking for a lesson or two Um, I team teach for a full month with every fourth grade teacher we teach the research project together Um, I'm in there all the time my hands are my sleeves are rolled up and I'm in there with them and with the kids all the time. And, and that builds a lot of trust.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, that's that's really cool. That's not something that we
0: see a lot in our current campuses, but I imagine that that really would foster a strong, um, trusting relationship. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to get some more advice from Rita after this break, um, where we're going to hear about her new book. I hope you're enjoying this episode with our outstanding author, Rita Platt. We're talking about all things joy and effort in this episode, but I want to make sure you go check out her book from Rutledge Publishers. You can find it at Amazon or at Rutledge.com. Just search for her book, Working Hard, Working Happy. I'll also link to that in our show notes. While this book does describe in more detail the joy factor, it also addresses some very relevant topics, such as why mastery and goal setting are important, how to work with differentiated instruction and how to work with cooperative and collaborative learning. I know in my work as a district leader in literacy, these are really big topics that we're working to engage educators and learners with. You'll find the book is really practical. She's giving great examples, tips, and actionable strategies. This book would be an excellent PLC study. Go check it out. Follow our author with her handle at Rita Platt for more updates. Now let's dig into more about the joy and effort connection. Okay, so one more chance to hear some great advice from Rita um, on this episode of Coach Lee Teach. So one of my favorite parts of podcasting is hearing all the stories that my guests have to share from working in their schools. Um, I know that you've shared with us a couple of... um, things that have really um, been examples of how your principles went to work in your campus to help make working hard and working happy come together. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how you think that's made an impact with a specific student or maybe a classroom where you really saw that principle, you know, make a powerful impact?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Again, I'm a kind of a big picture thinker. It's in my nature. So but mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you that we, in the, in the last over the last 10 years, we've worked really hard at my school to implement student-based goal setting where students in grades kindergarten through four set their own academic goals and then work to meet them and progress monitor their own goals. And um, it's just been incredible. And... um, so now we do. So the kids recently, they, let's just talk about reading. They set a goal for how many novels they want to read, how many uh, picture books they want to read, whatever. They set their their reading goals. And last year, all but one student of, you know, approximately 400 students met their goals. And the pride that you see on kids' faces, it's just Aww. incredible. I, I will stand at the top of the hill. We have a hill that goes down to the playground at recess. And every kid that comes by will say, Mrs. Platt, I'm... I did this. I'm close to my goal. I read the Harry Potter. And, and they just are so excited about their, their goals. And I think that has made us um, just made a powerful impact.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I was at a campus last week and I got to observe a intervention reading group with a teacher and um, this boy came in with his, his novel and put it on the table and we didn't use it during the lesson. And then at the end, as we were leaving, he picked it up and he kind of looked at her and goes, Uh, gotta go read chapter six, almost done with this novel. He was so proud of himself. Yeah. (laughs) It was so cute (laughs) because he's not somebody that is normally one who gets to read novels. And so he was just so proud that he's like, almost done with this book. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's so exciting. Um, So what advice do you have for maybe a teacher or a school leader who's kind of struggling to find the joy? Um, We know that teaching is really, really hard work. Um, so what can what's something they could try to kind of dig in and really find some joy in their work?
1: I'm gonna give two pieces of advice there. The first piece of advice is open yourself and reach out. You can't mm-hmm. teaching is not a do-it-yourself endeavor. You gotta find your group ask for help, get on Twitter, join the chats, um, email me. I'd love to chat with you. I'm, I, I'm just I'm sitting at home waiting for people to email me questions or thoughts or topics of conversation on teaching and learning. I love love to work with other educators. Find somebody who will listen and, and support you. Go visit another teacher's classroom, learn, read a new book, do something that invigorates you. The second thing I want to remind is that um, self-care is important for educators. I am super, I, I, I know sometimes I come across hippy dippy, peace, love, la, la, mm. la. However, I'm not, I'm, I'm not all that touchy feely. So for me, self-care, like when people talk about doing yoga or exercise, I'm like, nah, 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 nah. But laughter is self-care. Get on YouTube. Man, just go watch a bunch of funny videos. Watch, um, what's the name of the, oh, there's so, kids snippets. Hilarious. Watch kids yeah. snippets or can peel or something that makes fun of um, teaching and learning and, and, and find your joy. Um, we have a mantra, another mantra at my school, and it's act as if. Mm. act as if you you say okay you're gonna always act as if the kids can do more than you want them to do you're gonna always act as if the behavior is going to be excellent act as if because when you act as if those things actually become true there's you know there's ample research to support that in positive psychology and the same is true with our emotions in general, not always. I come from a family that's rife with depression and mental illness, and I know that I don't want to, um, I don't want to, um, you know, thumb my nose at that. Sometimes, uh-huh. there, you know, medical intervention is needed. However, most of the time, if you act as if you're happy, your body will will follow your emotions will follow so smile even when you don't feel like smiling and 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 often you trick your body into
0: feeling good mm, that's good I mean I feel like that needs to be a shirt act as if I'm sure y'all made a shirt already <laughs> 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 um, <to make> shirts. <laughs> um, but that's a really good tip okay and so then we think about you know as we're trying to motivate students there are sometimes those students in the class that are just so hard to get motivated or it's like you need a different motivation strategy for every month of the year because it'll work for a little while and then it'll stop. Um, Do you have any tips, you know, that has worked great in your school for those really tough to motivate students?
1: Well, you know, I think you kind of said it. You got to just keep, you just got to keep rolling the dice and placing your (laughs) bed. So that means if you, if it works for a week and then it doesn't work, you got to try something new. Of course, the bottom line is building really strong positive relationships. And uh-huh. I'm not only talking with kids. I mean, uh, it needs to be constant contact with parents too. I, I, um, mm. you know, I, you know, I'm super active on Facebook. Not because I generate. Not because Facebook would be something. <laughs> not because I necessarily like Facebook, but because it helps me know my families. So I know my community. So I can Mm. be constantly, you know, if a kid does something good, I can message the mom on Facebook Messenger in half a second. Those kinds of things go a long way when you build relationships with families. Now that said, you're not going to hit every kid every year. You're just not going to. Kids have lives. They have stuff going on. And so sometimes you're not going to motivate. I was thinking just last night, I was reflecting on a student I had last year who I just could not motivate. I just couldn't. he was compliant. He did his work and he, you know, did well, but he wasn't happy and motivated. You know, one of the things I think that we have to say is that occasionally that's going to be the case. Then our job is to not let that impact our egos mm-hmm. and to love that child unconditionally and let that child know that wherever they're at, where, whatever, eye roll. <laughs> if an eye rolls all they have to give you that's okay they're still going to do their work they're still going to behave at school but you will love them despite the fact that they're not happy and jumping for joy at the assignments you give them <laughs>
0: Man, I want you to be my principal, Rita. <laughs> you know, so awesome. you, you yeah, come, or, love you love come over to our school, Brittany. We'd love to have you. <laughs> it's nice and cool up
1: here. Oh, I know. Um,
0: so, any books, resources, other um, influencers that you might recommend that listeners follow to learn more?
1: Yes, I have. I do want to share some with you. Um, in fact, on on um, my blog. Which is called um, Heart of the School on Middle Web. I wrote a blog called The Ten um, Most Influential Professional Books, and I, I um, unfortunately, of course, off the top of my head, I think it's going to be hard for me to remember all no. ten of them. But you can, I don't you can that blog post. So. Yeah, you can I reference did. that blog post, and I can yeah. tell you in you know I can tell you that that um, among them are. Um, my favorite book of all time. It's an older one, but it's The First Days of School by Harry Wong. It never disappoints. It just reminds me of, I mean, I feel like I read that book again at 25 years I've been teaching and I'm pretty good at it. But I read that book pretty regularly still. And every time I read it, I learn something. Um, Another one that I would suggest would be a new book by Jennifer Saravallo. And it's her new book on reading conferences. And I, for my money, it's the best book I have ever seen on, on, on how to make the most of guided or independent reading um, without overkill was just, just absolutely phenomenal
0: well I'm excited that you say that because um I, when this comes out her episode will have just come out a couple of weeks before hey! where she's talking about that. so it's that's really so, exciting oh,
1: yeah you tell her tell her that's the best I'm just the best we have I, I bought copies for all my teachers and and yeah and then I had there's a couple more too can I tell a couple more mm-hmm. that I okay another yeah. one that I love so much is called um it's an old book too but it's called Cooperative Discipline by Linda Albert and it's it's it, it, okay, so here's the deal. It's old, and some of the some of the thinking has changed about it, but the big idea is the same, and that's this: if you want to teach kids, and you want to have good um behavior choices in your classroom, you have to ask yourself, what is it that kids need from me and how can I give it to them before they misbehave to get it? Mm, so it yeah. helps you look at the types of unwanted behaviors you're seeing, um, do a functional behavior analysis in a real simple way to say, well, what is the function of the behavior? Does a kid need attention? Does he need um challenge? Does he need more ownership? And then it offers suggestions for how to help them get what they need. It's just an incredible way to be proactive.
0: Yeah, that sounds be great. great. i have to look yeah. that up. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, like I said, I'll link up that blog post where you talk about kind of those... Um, key books that everybody needs to check out because I know my listeners out there, y'all are all such learners, so we're always looking for great resources. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on Coach League Teach, and thank you to my listeners for joining me. Make sure that you subscribe on to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss an episode. Uh, Rita, tell us again, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work?
1: Well, you can follow me on Twitter, and I'll follow you back. I promise. And that's at Rita Platt. Um, my blog is at Middleweb, and it's called Heart of the School. All Middleweb content is great, though. If you teach the middle grades or high school, you definitely want to follow that blog. And then my book, Working Hard, Working Happy, Cultivating a Culture—I'm pardon me—I don't even know the title of my whole book—a <laughs> climate of effort and joy in your classroom—is available on Amazon or at the Rutledge website. Yes.
0: And then um, other than your book com- that it just recently came out, do you have anything else coming up that we can be watching to follow you about? Yes. Let's see. I have a, um,
1: an article coming out in Educational Leadership Magazine in October, okay. um, um, supporting students who've experienced trauma. And oh, okay. um, I think it's, it's, it's a good one. It'll be filled with practical advice for helping those babies. Um, who need us most and sometimes show us they need us most in the
0: worst of ways. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll have to be keeping an eye out for that. Well, thank you all for listening in. Be sure to join us next week when we talk about building comprehension with our intermediate readers with my good friend and fellow reading interventionist and school leader, Stephanie Glaze. Now go out there and grow great leaders.